Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from December 12th by Pastor Randy titled Overcoming Fear at Christmas, Part 2. All right, let's start off. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Mary is probably somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. Joseph is slightly older. They're living in Nazareth, small town, population somewhere between 50 and 300 people. They're engaged, probably arranged by their parents. And engagement back then was a little bit different than engagement today. Because if you're engaged today and things get a little weird during the engagement time, you just break off the engagement and go on. But back then, the engagement was like a binding contract. So if you're engaged and you want to break off that engagement, it requires a divorce. In fact, it was so serious that if one of them died during time of engagement, the other was considered a widow or a widower. So things are are going well for Joseph, it seems like, at the beginning of this time because his carpentry business is getting built up. He's about to get married. But then he has what has to be one of the most awkward conversations ever. I don't know how it began. Uh, Maybe it went something like this. He notices that, that Mary's gaining weight, maybe a lot of weight. He goes, Mary, you're looking a little thick you know how, how do you how do you how do you say that i don't know it's joseph joseph did not have a clue he's basically an older teen okay that's how he's going to say it uh, i know i was a clueless teen oh, i still am clueless but i was a lot more clueless back then uh, and then she says something like honey bunny sugar booger you know i really love you but there's something I need to tell you. I'm pregnant, but it's okay. It's okay. I didn't sleep with another man. It's by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, believing that somebody is a virgin and pregnant was no more believable then than it is now. To be engaged and to be pregnant was scandalous in that culture. But to be, to be engaged and be pregnant and not by the person that you're engaged to is even more scandalous. So what's going to happen? Here's the next verse we read. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, when it says Joseph is a righteous man, we use righteousness like an adjective. But it's not an adjective, it's a title. Back in that day, there were a group of men called Sadiq. And, and, and Sadiq just meant that, that these, were, these were a group of guys who, who loved the Torah. They wanted to obey the Torah. They would never, they would never eat an unclean food. They would never shave their beards. They, they would never go into a Gentile's home. Uh, they, they, would, they would wear tassels to remind them to, on their clothes to remind them to keep the law of God. And they would certainly never have sex outside of marriage. See, we forget sometimes, but there were two virgins in the Christmas story, not just Mary, but also Joseph, because he was Sadiq. Now, what is a Sadiq? What is a righteous man going to do when he gets this news that his fiance is pregnant? There's only one thing he can do. Publicly disgrace her. 
call out the sin for what it is. To call it out. There's sin going on here and she's the one who's committed sin and protect his reputation. But he doesn't want to do that. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever been angry at someone and loved them at the same time? You ever been so angry you want to push him down the stairs, but you loved him so much you want to run downstairs and catch him so he didn't hurt themselves? Well, well Joseph finds himself in, in, in this sort of predicament. And it says, being a righteous man. Now that word being, that is a circumstantial participle. Are you impressed yet? <laughs> Does anybody know what a circumstantial participle means in the Greek? I didn't either. I had to look it up myself. Okay. So there are different ways to translate this being a righteous man. And, and, and a better way to put it would be although he was a righteous man. Although he was a righteous man. And a righteous man would publicly disgrace Mary and put her away and just move on someplace else. Although he was a righteous man, he decided not to do that. Instead, to, to, to put her away quietly. See, Joseph wrestles with this. This was not an easy decision. How come as soon as Mary says, I'm pregnant and it's by the Holy Spirit that, that, that God doesn't send an angel to Joseph and the angel says right away, oh, it's okay, it's okay, you can go and take her as your wife. God allows him time to rest with this. What's he going to do? And so he has to decide. And what he's, what he's deciding basically is what would a righteous man do? He struggles with this. Because see, it seems like it's clear. By the law, you publicly disgrace her and you put her away. You sort of mark her as, a, as, a, as one of those women. And so she wears that. She wears that blame and that shame throughout the rest of her life. But Joseph is learning that, that what God's law does, the purpose of God's law is to teach us to love others and love God with a redeeming type of love, to love other people with that redeeming type of love. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is Joseph is wrestling, what does it actually mean to be a righteous man? We have the example that Jesus left us when he dealt with scandalous women. What did Jesus do when he meets a woman at the well? She'd had five husbands. Now she's just living with a guy. She is the first person that Jesus reveals his Messiahship to. He winds up quenching her thirst and she goes back to town, a changed woman. One time he's at a party at, at uh, uh, Pharisee Simon's house. A woman comes in off the street, a woman of the street, and we all know what, what that was. And she comes in and she starts washing his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. And Simon thinks, if you knew that, if you were a righteous man, Jesus, if you were a righteous man, you wouldn't let a woman like that even touch you. You would send her back out to the street. But Jesus forgives her sin. Another woman caught in adultery gets thrown down before Jesus. What are you going to do, Jesus. He says, I'm not going to condemn her, and neither should you. Go and sin no more. He gave these women a moral future. So what, what we're doing is, is, and it's what Joseph wrestles with, he's learning a different definition of, of what it means to be righteous. And here's what's happening. Joseph learns the heart of God 
who will ultimately deal with sin in a way that costs him and shows grace to us. He's going to learn about the heart of God in the midst of this. What did God do? God took on our sin and gave us grace. He took our sin, our mess ups upon himself and wind up giving us grace. So what's Joseph doing? All that shame that should be on Mary, she should be ashamed, she, she should be publicly disgraced and put away. He decides, no, no, I'm not going to handle it that way. Instead, I'm going to carry that burden. I'm going to put her away quietly. I will carry that, that burden of her shame and I will give her grace. Then we read this. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. He did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. Now, just a side note here. Mary told Joseph the truth. And Joseph didn't believe her. Do you know what it is to live with a woman when she tells you the truth and you don't believe her? And now he has to go back and do what? He has to say, maybe, just maybe, you were, oh, I don't know, just a side note. I just, but you know what all these, these last five verses, you know what they mean? When he decides to go ahead and take her as his wife, it means he will never be considered Sadiq again. He's going to never be that, considered that righteous man again. His reputation is gone. Not only that, he loses the right to have sex with his wife until after Jesus is born. Not only that, he gives up that privilege that all Hebrew men look forward to, and that was naming their firstborn son after himself. And Joseph is never vindicated. Never. See, at some point before Jesus' ministry, Joseph died. Nobody ever came up to Joseph and said, you know what? When you took Mary as your wife those 30 years back, it was the right thing to do. He never heard that from anybody. He was never vindicated from that. Now, we taught last week that Christmas is overcoming the fear that God has forgotten you. And this week, here's what we're going to look at. Christmas is overcoming the fear of what people think about you. So let me ask you this question. I need some participation here. That means you need to do something. You're going to need to I want you to, to raise your hand if you, if you care about what other people think about you. If you care what other people think about you, raise your hand. All right. Now, all of you that raise your hand, you can point to everybody who didn't and say the reason you didn't raise your hand is because you care too much what people think about you. All right. But we all care what people think about us, don't we? Do you like the clothes I wear? Do you like the car I drive? For some of you, do you like the way I do my hair? 
Do, do, do you like the, the job I have? Do you like my picture here on Facebook? Do you like this picture or this picture? Because this picture only have like two chins, and but not smiling. But this picture, I got four chins, but I'm smiling. Which picture do you like best? You know, we, we want to be liked. And, and Joseph is, is going through this battle here between doing what people wanted him to do and doing what he knew God wanted him to do. This is difficult. It's a difficult decision because it's going to cost him. He's going to be marked for the rest of his life. Like I said, lose his reputation as being a Sadiq, a righteous man. Things are going to be more difficult for him and Mary. He's going to take his donkey in to be serviced, and the mechanic's going to go, we quit changing oil on that type of donkey six months ago. Sorry, take him to the next mechanic. People are going to be whispering, you know, that's not Joseph's boy. And one woman's going to be saying, I thought I saw Joseph's donkey out in front of Mary's apartment at 2 o'clock in the morning. Why else would his donkey be parked outside of her apartment at 2 o'clock in the morning? They weren't doing a Bible study, I promise you that. And he's got to live with this. Joseph is learning one of the most important lessons that people can learn if they're going to honor God. And here, and here it is. He's going to learn that pleasing Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Because I promise you this, if you want to walk with God, you want to follow him, there's going to be times when you're going to be making that choice and it's going to come up over and over again in your life to make that choice. Am I going to, to care about the opinion of people and please people or am I going to want to care about God and please him? Those things happen constantly. So Joseph is going to decide, am I going to be a part of what God is doing or, or do I want to keep my reputation? What's it going to cost me to be a part of what God is wanting to do? So here, becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. But the opposite is true as, as well. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. The opposite way works also. Joseph is going to come around and say that he values the opinion of God more than the opinion of people. So here's the conclusion here with this. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Because you're going to be criticized for it. There's going to be times when following after God is going to be culturally unpopular. Because you follow after God, God's going to want you to, to, to quit getting drunk, to quit doing drugs, and people are going to say, what? Are you crazy? Are you some sort of religious fanatic? God's going to want you to understand that sex is for married people, and what, what, what's the world going to say? What century do you live in? you got to be crazy. Who believes that anymore? Who practices that anymore? He may lead you to, to give up your job and take a job that pays less money so you have more time at home and more time to do ministry. And people are going to go, what? Don't you know that money's everything? So here, here's the, the question. What would you do right now if you had no fear of what other people think? 
What is it? What is God wanting you to do? What is God wanting you to move to do? And what would, would you do that? Or what would you do if you had no fear what other people really thought about you? So here, we learn that the real righteous obeys God when it costs. Righteous will obey God even when it costs. And that part of that cost is taking on the sin of other people and giving them grace. The second thing in these verses, this is my favorite thing about Christmas. Christmas is experiencing what Emmanuel means, that God is with us. I love this name for Jesus. Because see, there are times in life when God just seems to disappear. But there are other times in life where, where God's just there. It's like he's everywhere. You open up the word of God, it just jumps out the page at you and, and, and just speaks to your heart, your very soul, and, and nourishes you. You go, wow, wow, wow. And God is right there. And you pray and, and you got the circumstance in your life that you want God to change and Woo, wow, just God does a great work in that circumstance. And, and you pray for somebody to be saved and they're saved. And you look at him, boy, God, God, it's all you see is God everywhere. But there are also times when God seems to disappear. You have this circumstance in your life and you're praying, God, you need to intervene here. This is, this is, this is causing a lot of hurt. You've got to do something. And nothing happens and the circumstance even gets worse. And you open up the Bible because you found comfort there before and peace there before and you open it up and nothing. Anybody know what that's like? I mean, there's times where there's God, he's right there and times where, is there a God? Where is God? Doesn't he care anymore? But if you look through scripture, You'll see that going on throughout all the scripture. In fact, you see this enough, you begin to understand that's just the ways of God. That's just, that's just the way it works in this world. And you can see this working over large amounts of times from century to century. Things will change. It's like, where's God this century? And oh, there's God this century. And sometimes it's from day to day in our lives. You go back to the book of Exodus and you read where the people being pressed by Egypt, being put into slavery and they're being oppressed and they wonder, where's God? Within the very next verse, you read the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Oh, there's God. Then Pharaoh decides, just throw all the Egyptian baby boys into the river. Just kill them. Where's God? But then the midwives, they refuse to do that. They refuse to kill the baby boys when they're born. Oh, there's God. Then along come Moses. But he tries to deliver the people, but he fails miserably. He's exiled. Where's God? But then Moses comes back and delivers the people out of Egypt. Oh, there's God. Then they wander around for 40 years. Where's God? And then they come to Israel. They become a great nation. Oh, there's God. Then they sin, rebel, go into captivity for 70 years. Where's God? But then they come back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. Oh, there's God. Then for 400 years, nothing. No prophet, no God speaking, nothing. Where's God? 
then Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. There's God in a big way, right? And this goes on. We see it in our Christmas story. Mary has this visit from the angel. She's going to have a child. It's, 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 it's going to be the Messiah. And, and she's overjoyed in a sense. But then she's, she's got to be so perplexed. And, and how do you deal with this? How do you handle this? And she has nowhere to go. Her parents apparently don't understand. You know, they're not going to get it. They don't understand. What does she do? How does, how does she process what's going on? Then she, she's wondering, where's God? You know, he was there. Just, you know, this big angel, this big announcement. He was there. But now it seems like nothing. But then she goes visit her cousin Elizabeth. And as soon as she walks in the door, she learns Elizabeth is going to have a miraculous child too. There's God. Joseph finds out his fiance's pregnant. Where's God. But then he gets a visit from the angel who says, it's of God, it's of the Holy Spirit. It's okay, there's God. And even after all that, they've got to travel from Bethlehem or from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. That's like walking to Seward, guys, from here. If you had to walk to get to Seward, how often would you go to Seward? Not very often if you had to walk there. Plus, she's at the end of her pregnancy time. It's getting close to nine months. This is not a fun journey is what I'm trying to get across to you. It's a difficult journey. And then when they get there and it's about time for her to have a child, in a stable is the best they can find. Now, I don't know how many of you have done ranching or farming or anything like that. But were there animals? There's lots of manure around. It's just there. How many of you have been shoveling manure out of stalls? I've done that before, yeah. And that's basically what we're having to, to do that. In fact, I watched part of the Chosen movie the other night, and that's what Joseph did. He takes the shovel and starts moving the manure out the way. Now, just another side note here. Joseph did have something that every man envies. He has somebody else to blame. Because when Mary is giving birth, Joseph is the only man in history that his wife could look at him and go, you did this to me. Okay. Am I the only man that's ever had that said to him? Okay. Well, maybe I am. I don't know. But here they are in this situation, and they give birth. And it still looks like, where's God. This is not what we wanted. You know, they can't, they're sort of ostracized in their community back in Bethlehem. They have really nothing going on there. Who's going to share the joy with them? This should be a great moment. People should be around celebrating. Nothing. But then the shepherds show up and go, you won't believe what just happened to us. Oh, there's God. And then a, a year and a half or so later, the wise men come and they bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And right around that time, Joseph has another dream that he's supposed to take Jesus and flee to Egypt because people are wanting to kill him. And so now that with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that helps finance their little trip down to Egypt. And Joseph has to admit God has been there the whole time. Every step of the way. I wonder if he thought about going down to Egypt, if he thought about his namesake that in Genesis, when he went down to Egypt, 
You know, Joseph went down to Egypt, different circumstances. His brothers stripped him of his coat, his clothes, threw him in a pit and sold him as a slave. Now you tell me, he wasn't thinking, where's God? But then he gets to Egypt, he's put ahead of all Potiphar's household. There's God. Then he's falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. Where's God? Then he's made second command of all Egypt. There's God. And then when his brothers come, later on he's discussing with them. He says, you, what you did to me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Joseph had to admit, as he looked back through his whole life, that God had been there the whole time. There's a fable about an oriental monarch whose custom was in that, in that country that the, the, the ruler, the, the monarch, just stayed in his palace, sort of away from the people, never really seen by the people, sort of godlike. But then the attitude of the people began to change. And they're wanting to see their king, they're wanting to see their ruler. And they're getting ready to, to bust down the walls of the palace. And about that time, the king goes out into his balcony with all his royal robes on and all his majesty. And the people just stop there and they just look at him and stare in awe. And then somebody from over here says, I know him. He came and visited me when I was sick. Somebody says from over here, I know him. When my sister died, he came to the funeral. He came and comforted us when my sister died. No one goes, I know him. He came visit me when I was in prison. And they had to admit that he had been with him the whole time. Emmanuel, God with us. See, that's what I like about Matthew's gospel. Because at the beginning, we see where it says, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And how's it end? The very last words of Matthew's gospel are, and lo, he will be with you always to the end of the world. Oh, if we could understand, especially at Christmas time, that he's with us. When you can see him as if you can touch him, he's so close. And when you wonder where he's at, he's with us the whole time. Never leave us, never forsake us. And that is a challenge of being a Christian is that from time to time, God seems to disappear. And we go through that, but when I come back this Christmas, is, is it no? Even when those times where we wonder, God, where are you? He's always there. But listen, it's not enough for him to be God with us at Christmas. He has to be God with you. Can you say he's God with me? Can you know, can you know that's personal? Have you surrendered your life to him? And know that he's with you. The second thing, are you ready to overcome the fear of obeying despite what other people think? So today, as we conclude, number one, can you say that he's God with me? Even when I can't see him, he's there. And number two, are you ready to overcome the fear of doing what God wants you to do despite what people think? But here's the biggest one. Are you able to take on the hurts of other people of, that other people give you and show them grace? 
See, that's what God did for us, right? He took on our sin and gave us grace. He took our sin upon himself. He bore that debt. He bore that punishment that should have been on us, and he gave us grace. And so what he's teaching us here in this story is that that's what it means to be righteous. That when other people hurt you, you go ahead and you take that hurt and you show them grace. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians when uh, in the Christian community, one may steal from the other and, and they're trying to get even to get back. And Paul says, why not just rather be wronged? In other words, why not just take that hurt upon yourself and give them grace? Mm. You know why we don't do that? Why that's so hard to do? Because grace costs so much. You have to die in order to give grace. You have to die to your pride. You have to die to self. A death has to take place to give grace like that, to be righteous like that. That's why it's so hard for us to do that. So those are three challenges today from this Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So I figure I got three chances to hit you this morning. And it may hit you with, you think God's forgotten you? You think, where's God? Really, he's there all along. Or it may hit you with, you're concerned about what people think. Rather than obeying God, you're more concerned with the opinion of other people. Or what may hit you is that, you don't really understand what it means to be righteous because it costs too much. It costs too much. You're not willing to die in order to die to your pride, die to yourself, to, to experience death in order to be able to give grace to other people. Because if anything, happens, if anything is going to go on at Christmas time or come to light at Christmas time, it's going to be how difficult relationships are, <laughs> right? Every Christmas. You know, hope they don't come over, Tyree. You know, hope they stay away, you know, and, you know, we get that. Isn't it time that you give grace? Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.